Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Making Sense of MarTech and a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, technology, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter, a weekly email that covers some of the most important shifts in marketing technology. Today, I'm joined by Pep Laja. He is a founder and CEO of CXL, Winter, and a board member of the newly rebranded Spiro Agency, formerly the CXL Agency in Austin, Texas. Pep is someone who's been pioneering digital marketing uh, in the space for more than a decade and has worked building companies and brands to support the industry in ways that not many others are. And so today we're talking about a number of his companies and how he's gone about solving some of the needs for digital marketers in the industry, particularly Winter, uh, the new product that was released just last year. And we talk about how to differentiate. There's a lot of noise in the MarTech space. There's a lot of brands that are looking to find new markets. Pep has some unique perspectives into how you actually go about differentiating and solving on your customer needs in the marketplace. And so I give you Pep. Hi, Pep. How are you? I'm rocking, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So how about you give me an introduction to what you do, your view on the value proposition of um, each of the different companies you're working on at the moment? Yeah. So I am a, I guess, a business person, an entrepreneur. So yeah, I'm involved with three companies. Spiro is a customer experience optimization agency where we work with mid-market to large enterprises, helping them uh, get more customers in the door that, you know, spend a lot of money and retain for a really long time. So that's Biro. CXL is an e-learning company training marketers to become top 1% at what they do. And Winter is a messaging research tool. Um, We're building the biggest and the best B2B panels in the world. And so we can put your messaging in front of your target audience, whatever it is, VP marketing at, in SaaS companies, and tell you how your messaging, messaging lands on those people. So you can optimize it, the messaging. And I'd like to get a view from you in terms of uh, the evolution, I guess, of how you've been able to build products uh, to address specific problems in the digital marketing space. Uh, you know, uh, we talked before this call just briefly about how, you know, you were working in CRO and an optimization and you were working with brands every day. And then you saw a number of opportunities to help solve problems with actual technology, whether it be CXL and education or winter with messaging and, and building a product into that. Could you tell me a bit of the story in terms of how that evolution has um, occurred over the past decade or so? Mm-hmm. Sure. I started my company as actually a blog. It was just me blogging about conversion optimization, building an audience. I was focused on building an audience, a readership, capturing emails, building an email list. And then those people wanted to hire me as a consultant because I was writing about conversion optimization, building my personal brand. And that led, uh, you know, led me to start an agency. People wanted to hire me um, by my services. And so I built the services company which is now one of the, the biggest and the best uh, optimization companies uh, you know, ever. And then maybe five years into the agency, 
Mm. The thing we're seeing is that since our agency services are pretty expensive, uh, maybe 99% of our email list is never able to buy anything from us. They, they just can't afford us or they, uh, they don't have enough traffic to run A-B tests. So we're just like, we're building a big audience. We have like hundreds of thousands of visitors a month on our website. Uh, email list is more than 100,000 people. And only 1% is giving us money. So what is, what is going on? Like, how can we monetize the 100% of it? And that led us to essentially serving our email list. Like, what else could we sell you if we were smart enough to, to sell it to you? Mm-hmm. And people said they would love to learn to do what we do. They would love to learn conversion optimization. A lot of companies signing up to our email list were actually like smaller competitors or people looking into, to get into conversion optimization. And so we built an e-learning company. So today, the agency has been spun off into Spiro, and CXL is now the e-learning company. It's been around for four years, uh, profitable and growing. Mm, right. And and yeah, so things are things are going really great. Um, what we see with CXL, or what I started to see at around 2019, so that's two years ago, is that you know at CXL we have some 60 plus courses, different training programs. And then we have, and each of these courses has their own sales page, a landing page. And then we have PPC landing pages, webinar landing pages. So all in all, like hundreds of landing pages. Mm-hmm. And they are very copy heavy because copy is most important part of the conversion equation. It's the most important thing when it comes to converting visitors into customers. So in order to increase the conversion rates and lower our acquisition costs, we need to to improve the copy on those landing pages. In order to improve uh, the copy, you need to know what's wrong with it. And so I started to look for a tool that would tell me basically. So how, 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 what are the problems with my, what's the problem with my copy? And I discovered that no such tool exists, but I did find a lot of other people with the same problem. And as I was investigating this problem further, I discovered an insanity. Essentially what is happening is that, you know, we live in this data-driven age where every single thing we can, uh, what is happening on our website, we can measure it. Every click, every scroll, if you're using, you know, a CDP, you can tie together Every single thing, you know, like people who downloaded the PDF and what they bought three years ago, and then did they open the last email newsletter? You can tie it all together and, you know, serve a very data-driven, personalized experience. Mm. Yet, you have no data at all about whether the messaging you're using is resonating with the people or not. It's like, imagine you being on a sales call or like selling in person your, your tool or your services to somebody but you cannot see how that messaging is landing on them. Like, like how, how, what you're saying, your sales pitch, is it working or not? Cause like in, in person, we're tailoring what we're saying in real time, you know, all they seem to be really interested in this point. I'll, I'll talk more about this and less about this other thing. But, um, on, on, on the internet, on your website, you know, a salesperson is replaced by copy and, you do not ha- you don't have any idea how that copy is landing. So essentially, that is the problem we're solving with 
winter. We're giving companies data on how that messaging is landing on the people they're trying to say, sell to, market to, and so they could you know, tweak it and optimize it and convert more customers. See, that's interesting. Even from when you're running CXL agency, you are listening to your audience. And even before that, you're running a blog and understanding what the needs are in the market. And so it's quite a cool story because there's not many brands out there, executives that have such a dedicated focus on customer needs and understanding those needs. And the permutation of that is Winter, which is, which is quite a cool product because it's solving on a messaging and a positioning problem through copywriting. And I agree with you that, uh, you know, copywriting and the words on a landing page or in an email, um, in a text message, you know, whatever channel it is, the words do the selling. And uh, what I often say to my colleagues and to my clients uh, is that copy is potentially the, the highest leverage activity you could do when it comes to optimizing a website. But it's also the lowest effort, you know, like a lot of brands focus on <laughs> like doing big UX changes or big architectural changes or focusing on uh, personalization, which is all great. But then uh, what I think you found out of your work with uh, CXL is that there's a need to actually think about messaging, positioning and copywriting um, in a way that can be leveraged by using technology but also education, you know, a lot of brands don't think about copywriting and the actual messaging as a business critical activity. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about positioning because a lot of brands struggle with it. There's different ways you can position your brand and, and look at messaging. Uh, how have you gone about positioning winter specifically? We can also talk about CXL as well, but how have you gone about positioning it? Um, it is a fairly new to market product. I can imagine there's a lot of education there. Um, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, let's let's start by what do we mean by positioning? So the way um, the way I think about positioning is that it's it's uh, it's something you do to communicate your strengths and who this is for. Like what kind of a problem can you solve for which very specific audience? Yeah. And when we launched Winter, we actually launched it as a company called Copy Testing. Mm. And because uh, to solve this problem I was uh, um, describing earlier, so no data on copy will give you data on copy. You can test how your copy is, is working or not. And then we discovered some interesting things that we didn't know. So A, we thought that you know, copy, copy testing is actually uh, is a product for copywriters or not, not specifically for, but those will be most drawn to it. We were wrong because actually copywriters, well, besides the fact they don't really have money or spend money on tools, they actually were, most of them were quite afraid. It's like, oh, I, I had a free ride here. I can write any copy I want. And if you don't like it, it's just like your opinion, man. But now, yeah. now I can give you data whether your copy is failing or not, you know? So two, another thing we learned was companies, uh, especially, uh, well, we also launched with co consumer panels. That's, that's where our initial doing message testing for consumer companies uh, with consumer panels. And then we noticed that actually the biggest interest came from B2B SaaS companies who wanted to, to test their messaging. And, but we couldn't 
provide them the audience, you know, they, because they, they want to target people by title, you know, SaaS uh, CMOs or VP sales or CFOs or whatever, you know. And we, we had like grandmas between ages of this and this. So it's okay, interesting, interesting. And then when we, we were then trying to still sell to uh, consumer companies to the marketing teams, like, hey, marketing manager for your direct-to-consumer e-commerce company, hmm. why don't you, you know, optimize your copy on your e-commerce product pages here? You've got a lot of product pages, better copy sells more product. Turned out that this is not a big perceived problem for, for e-commerce. And uh, product marketers at e-commerce companies, for the most part, though obviously I'm generalizing here, but for the most part, once the e product description, product copy has been written, they never think about it again. It's just, they're going to just leave it. That's it. Yep. And it's very hard to change how people think about something uh, and what they should do. Mm. So there's a lot of friction there, a lot of resistance. And then another thing... Uh, then we noticed was that uh, there are all these other services that we need. So besides telling you how your existing messaging is landing, there are other use cases that seem like we should be solving, you know, basically testing video, whether the video is how, how that is landing, like what about it is good or not. Yeah. And market research in the sense that surveying your target audience about the desired gains and the, the pains they have when it comes to whatever you're doing. You know, if you're selling CDPs, how are the CMOs at SaaS companies thinking about CDPs? What are the perceived problems? What are the, the key pains you should use when selling CDPs, you know? Mm. And so we understood that actually we're in the business of delivering panels, audiences, and we should really go into B2B because Lo and behold, we discovered that B2B audiences is an unsolved problem. And we learned this the hard way because there are some panel companies out there that claim to that they can deliver B2B panels through an API. And so we just use those companies. Oh, wow. And they delivered absolute garbage. They were like Indian <laughs> teenagers or uh, just stay-at-home moms. So like, we, you know, we had a client who... It was an AI for organic traffic and the uh, supposed VP marketings we ordered through this panel company. They were like, what does organic food have to do with traffic on the streets? Organic traffic, the, the, the concept just had, they had no idea. Yeah, the, Those were not marketing people. Mm. So putting all these learnings together, and this is, this is happening, let's say, within the first three, four months within after our launch. It's like, okay. So our target audience doesn't care. And so we need a new target audience, but we have this other audience that is showing a lot of interest, but we cannot serve yet. And there's this big unsold, other unsold problem, which is B2B panels. So putting all these things together, oh, and, and another problem we discovered was that marketing leadership doesn't value copy. They don't think it's that, that big of a deal because anybody can write words. And so they think since any, so, you know, there's, there's no learning curve. You can write words, you can write copy. That's, that's a common, common mis, mis, uh, false understanding of, you know, how copywriting works. Yeah. Uh, so at, at companies, strategic narrative is very strategic. It's the CEO and CMO of heavily involved. Yep. In fact, they, they might be, you know, owning it. Positioning. 
owned by marketing and C, uh, the C-suite. Um, and key messaging, we are we are we are using these five key messages to to you know that's, to go to market. And then, okay, execution. Okay, let's get the new intern. You know, like John, the new intern started this week. Let him write the copy. That's how copy is often perceived. And so we changed our positioning. Then, we, first of all, we changed our name from copy testing to winter to do two things. Copy testing. The word contains the word copy, and they they don't care about copy. The the marketing people. Two. We realized that we're, we're going to be about much more than cut testing copy. We're going to be testing go-to-market strategy, testing positioning, testing, doing market and audience research. So the name copy testing painted, painted as as mono monofunctional company. Yeah. So we needed a, a brand name that means nothing at all, where we create the meaning. So it's winter. Then we abandoned consumer panels and we went all in with B2B panels. Now we're building the best panels in the world where they have them. And they're gonna get it, you know, better every day. And we're focused on B two B companies, B two B SaaS uh, predominantly, agencies as well. But B two B SaaS is our bread and butter. Is the companies that we can serve the best and who are most naturally drawn to us. Mm-hmm. And so now you asked about our positioning. So our positioning is it's messaging testing for B two B companies. Uh, that is our positioning, uh, and there's a lot of yeah. As you referred, there's a lot of education that happens here when it comes to why somebody needs this. A b- bad way to to to, or like let's say an ineffective way to sell is to say your messaging sucks. Here's we can do, give you better messaging. You know, because that puts people on the defensive. Yes. This is how a lot of companies sell, you know. Oh, whatever you're doing sucks and we can do it better for you, you know, <laughs> or, or you can do better with with our tool. The the brand's a hero instead of the customer. Yeah. You know, better than you. And like, like even when I, I was a consultant for 10 plus years and, mm. you know, people hired me to help them improve the conversion rates of their websites. And when I was telling them how their website sucks, they were defensive. They're like, no, 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 this is good. It's like, you paid me money to fix this problem and you're still defending this piece of shit, you know? <laughs> Anyways, so it can work, but it's 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 added friction in there because it's somebody's baby that you're insulting there. Yep. So a better way to sell is through education where you make them see the problem with a new eyes or make them aware of a problem that they didn't know that existed through education. Let me give you some examples. Mm-hmm. So one way you do this is, is a concept called strategic narrative. The strategic narrative is a story about what is happening in the external world. Uh, what changes have happened in the external world that you need to address with your strategy, with your business strategy. The old ways of competing, the old strategies are not working as well anymore because of all these changes. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, the rise of machine learning and AI, deep learning, all that stuff, it's coming. It's inevitable. You can't stop it. It's already here, and it's going to be more, more here. You know, It's a huge train that is headed our direction, whether you like it or not. It's unstoppable. So now, whatever you're doing as a company... 
if you want to remain competitive and, and even dominate, you need to get on, on board with this. You need to make use of it, work with it. Don't resist it, work with it. Make use of it, understand how it works, you know? And so the winners of this new era of machine learning and AI, the companies who who go all in and yes, let's make you, you know, let's ex exploit this technology. Let's fire all the people that, you know, can be replaced by machines and let's do better work. Let's upgrade humans to work on other higher value things. Right. So, so if, if you sell the idea that the world is changing and if your old way of, you know, fighting or not using machine learning is not working anymore, now they're listening. It's like, oh yeah, this is coming. Really? Yeah, yeah. I believe this story that machine learning is coming and it's important. So, okay. So now what? And now when they're bought your story and you're not making the story up, this is actually happening, right? You're just taking something that's happening in the real world and just putting it in context. Now they're listening to you and now you say, hey, you need, this new, you need to be doing these new things in this world to remain competitive. And by telling the story, you're also instantly positioning yourself as the best option to adapt to this new, new reality. So with winter, I am telling the story of market saturation. And this is 100% this is, this is, uh, happening. Yeah. You know really well uh, this uh, uh, MarTech landscape, right? 9,000 companies in 2020, <laughs> right? Yep. And uh, the amount of companies in, in the MarTech space has uh, what, doubled in, in the last two years or something. I think it so, was a 13% increase just last year. So 30% more logos on the Scott Brinker <laughs> MarTech landscape. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so if you zoom into any yeah. category in that in that landscape there, it's like, let's say you survey tools. Mm -hmm. You would think, okay, there's, you know, Qualtrics and SurveyMonkey and Typeform. Now there are like 50 tools there, 50, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And how is this saturation happening? The market saturation uh, is happening because the barriers of entry are lower than ever before. You know, there's more money, the access to capital is, you know, it's gone down, like think 20 years ago, it's just yeah. ridiculously more capital available to anybody. Don't need, need to be uh, privileged. I mean, it helps, but don't need to be. Yeah. Second is uh, no code and low code. And no, you know, all this thing, all this develop access to developers is gone. You know, like we can, we can build shit and, I can tell you a lot of things that we've rolled out on winter using no code uh, yeah. to test new products, validate demand, uh, go to market, accelerate it by two years and making less mistakes, you know, by building, not by not building shit that nobody wants, which is like the classic startup story. And, uh, um, and just the democratization of knowledge, also the, the remote stuff like access to global talent, you might not able to be able to afford top 1% talent in Silicon Valley, but now with everybody being remote, I can hire the top 1% Serbian talent and Colombian talent and, you know, like Pakistani talent, right? And there are people equally smart anywhere. So I am competitive. So the result is that there's a lot of competition in every single category. If you're the category leader, congratulations, you're winning. But if you're not uh, top two or three in your category, you're kind of screwed. Because <laughs> if you look at 
So when it and so this is the story we tell with winter, you know. So this is what's happening, and that's why your messaging it needs to be unique. It needs to stand out. If it needs to be differentiated, it needs to resonate. A concept called message market fit is what I'm educating the, my audience about. Why 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 they need to give a shit about it? And so it's a lot of it's daily social media content that I'm putting out. As the face of the company, uh, you know, we do webinars, we do a weekly, sorry, uh, we do a monthly virtual uh, conference, um, all kind of things. So a lot of education uh, and, you know, educating people about the changes that are happening and that the old way of competing, just saying we're a CDP or we do email marketing, send beautiful new, uh, beautiful email newsletters. That kind of stuff doesn't work anymore in this new era we're in. And if you're competing on features and if you're describing your business, your services, as if you're the only one doing what you're doing, oh, you know, build quick surveys, easy to use software, you're dead, you know, unless <laughs> you adapt. And, and there's an idea that I, I, that I throw around a little bit, um, which is that, you know, the companies that are best at what they do on the internet get to do it for everyone. So you look at like the Amazons, or, you know, the Netflixes of the world, they yeah. are very good at what they do. AWS is an excellent product. It's a very complicated product, but they've been able to penetrate the market like no other brand because they're very good at what they do. Now, there's a lot of tech companies thinking like we're very good at this particular tech, whether it's a MailChimp or a CDP, whatever that uh, MarTech company is, they think they're really good. You know, the quality of the product's great. We're getting good NPS. You know, we're getting yeah. hitting the right targets. But I think what you're trying to hit here with Winter um, and more broadly in industry is it's not just about being really good at what you do. It's actually about how you position, how you talk about the services, the features, the product. And so, you know, just to talk a little bit about what you mentioned earlier about how there's a real incongruency between executives and you know cmo levels or marketing managers thinking about what's their strategic narrative and what's their positioning in the market and how they're going to get the right message out there and then the people who actually execute on the ground you know writing the copy actually putting the content into the market uh you know, there's an incongruency, you know, and I see it all the time. Like even just the other day, I was looking at an investing app and I saw a, I saw a, an ad on the side of a bus and the ad like got me thinking, uh, it was, um, making some fun of a politician here in, in Australia. So it was a cheeky wow. fun ad. And then I thought about it. And then about a week later, I jumped onto their website and their copy was bland. The headline image was was so similar to all the other investing um, apps out there. And I and I, I thought to myself, like, what's going on there? Like, is it there's an incongruency? The CMO is, is obviously briefed in an ad agency to do the, the ad on the bus, but then on the landing page, on the on the most critical place where I'm thinking about signing up, the copy is is just not reflective of that brand message. And so, why do you think this has occurred between? Um, you know, this incongruency, this disconnect between what actually gets executed and uh, what's happening in the executive. Why, why is this confusion around messaging? It's a complicated problem for sure. It's, it's, it's so interesting that, you know, very experienced, expensive people think about positioning and, and their company strategy and moats, and then they hire 
some guy from Upwork to write the copy for their business, you know? <laughs> so that's, I just, I don't get it. I think it is, it is just ignorance. I don't think it's malice. I think it's ignorance about the importance of copy. So these people probably for the most part think that the world will still live in 2010 or 2015 because people are really, a lot, you know, we get comfortable and we want to replicate what worked for us in the past. You know, like we're trying to recreate the past. Oh, I really dominated 2010 doing these things. Just doesn't work anymore. The world has changed since. And when it comes to unique messaging and differentiation, it's about, you know, people have very limited consideration sets. If I'm considering a new tool, it never happens that I'll, I'll consider your tool or nobody at all, right? So it's, it's always that I'm looking into three, four, five different options. And which options am I looking for? I'm looking at options that I've heard of. So if it's an A-B testing tool, oh yeah, it's Google Optimize, and then there's Optimizely and VWO. Mm. That's maybe it, you know? And if, if I want live chat, then oh, right, there's Intercom and there's Drift. And then, you know, uh, maybe there's no, like maybe I didn't even care past that. And the email marketing and there's like MailChimp and campaign monitor and like who else is there? So the thing is that people, the consideration set is extremely limited. And market leaders are getting most of the business, you know, which is why, um, Famously, uh, Jack Welch, uh, the former uh, CEO of uh, General Electric, said that if they are not number one or two in a category, they're going to just get out of that business. It's not worth it. There's yeah. no money to be made. If if you're let's let's take email marketing. So Mailchimp is 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 the king there. Okay. So Mailchimp is in everybody's consideration set. If you are just like Mailchimp, but they've never heard of you. First of all, odds are they, they will never hear about you because it's just, they yeah. filter it out, yeah. it's just the same. But MailChimp, they know and trust already. They might have some brand affinity. They might like it. They're like a friendly chimp. Uh, and so <laughs> if you're not number one or two in your category, you need to be different. MailChimp doesn't need to be different. Shopify doesn't need to be different. Amazon doesn't need to be different because they're the market leader. Salesforce doesn't need to be different. You need to be different from Salesforce. So if you're a challenger brand, you always need to think, how am I different from this guy? Yep. You or better, you know, better is also good, but it's very hard to be better. It's extremely hard to be better. Yep. Uh, feature parity, yes, you need feature parity. You need to be able to do what they're what the other guys are doing. But like, can you name a company, a, a software company that is just objectively better than another company? For the most part, they all do the exact same things, you know. So, mm. it's a it's a complicated. It is very complicated um, when it when you come when it comes to thinking about brand positioning. So, you know, you can focus on acquisition, top of the funnel. Let's pull some ads. Let's do SEO. Let's um, you know try and create some virality in our content and attract customers. Now, uh, to your point, you know, if you're not one or two or three in those categories uh, as a performer, it's there's a lot of marketing forces working against you uh, totally. to actually compete. And I, I think sometimes brands need to, particularly uh, brands that are launching 
new products and, you know, there's been a lot of growth in the space. Um, and uh, David Rabb from the CDP Institute, he just wrote a piece about this uh, asking a question, uh, have we hit peak MarTech? You know, is it just so saturated? And uh, the interesting thing about that is it's saturation, but also with additional complexity. So you have this undercurrent, um, the substrate of, uh, you know, a sea of sameness, a lot of blandness, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. you know, I, I saw a, a hilarious uh, um, post the other day on Twitter about, uh, you know, why are all of the SaaS companies using the same design language as Google? You know, those funny people and they're, you know, the sort of weird exactly. illustration stuff, yeah. you know, and it's so similar and every brand uses it now and there's no differentiation. So you've got this substrate of blandness, but then you have this layer of complexity where like a lot of people buying technology and brands just have no idea what they're actually buying. You know, like what is a, a decisioning engine like what does that actually mean oh we use machine learning for product recommendations for sure like, i see it all that, the time yeah yeah. <clears throat> yeah and uh and so uh what i find interesting about winter is that uh you're competing in a space that's completely blue ocean you know you're looking at okay there's a need in the market and there's a lot of education that needs to happen and looking at that and then thinking about, okay, uh, how do we actually start educating the market without pissing them off? <laughs> like you mentioned earlier, you can't go in and say your copy is not good because uh, that puts people on the defensive. Um, and obviously you've had to change a name as well. That's been part of the iteration story. And mind you, the, the brand's only been around for a year. So that's a lot of iteration, ruthless innovation and change. And it, and it gets me thinking about this concept between exploration versus exploitation. So, you mentioned just before about the Salesforce and the Amazons. They don't need to differentiate because they're a market leader. But right. about 10, 15 years ago, there were a lot of market leaders like Blockbuster, like Polaroid, like Kodak, uh, that that were in that space. They were exploiting the success that they, their brand actually achieved and the market share, the reach. Um, and they didn't have to work very hard to innovate. But where are they now? <laughs> you know, there's only one exactly blockbuster left right. you know and it's somewhere so in colorado you so need, yeah yeah exactly if you get comfortable enjoying your success then innovation still happens you know the world changes and the innovation will happen especially if it's in technology you can compete on market awareness but if somebody comes out with just a better product mm. there's some sort of innovation out there uh on it they will eat you alive you know like nokia 2007 you know classic example so in many ways i think companies do need to think about creative destruction you know so basically before they come and eat you alive you think ahead obviously i think most companies are doing that you know like it'd be interesting to sit in the, the board discussions there, like who, who is trying to maintain status quo and just playing the feature game. Let's add this one more feature versus, wow, we are in a category where they're actually increasing, every tool is increasingly similar. And, and or to the point of ridiculousness, we're like so, so same, there's no difference. So then you need to think about like, okay, what would a completely unique differentiated version of us look like? And this is no easy, easy task. So it, it requires a lot of strategic thinking, connecting the dots, analyzing the market and betting on some future vision. You know, any, any strategies or hypotheses. And then 
then you formulate a vision of a new blue ocean, something where you can have something that you can build towards. And then you, you know, that informs where you go in as a company. That's obviously the job of any CEO is to do that. Mm. So if, if you're not differentiated now, just build a vision for how you could be and start building in that direction before, even if you're the incumbent, even if you're the market leader, you know, like Salesforce seems ever powerful right now, but you know, could have lost yeah. Salesforce might as well, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and even, um, Jeff Bezos is famous in saying that amazon.com may not exist forever. We'll get disrupted at some point because that's just the nature of the market. People are constantly differentiating brands are constantly thinking of new ways to solve on customer needs, um, in ways that, uh, other brands aren't thinking about. And so it's actually good for the market, I think. And it's good for the MarTech industry to think about how are we um, going to not rest on our laurels and continue to drive value for our customers. And now value doesn't need to be a whole bunch of new complex features. It can be looking at simplifying the complex. It can look at actually solving on the customer's needs. You know, it's, and you've been in this space for a long time, Pep, but uh, your perspective would be good here a lot of customer success when it comes to SaaS and MarTech brands, you know, that can be quite lackluster. For example, education, there's only a handful of uh, MarTech companies I can think of that, that actually focus on really good education. Like how do we use the product? You know, what's the best practice here? And so that's one area where, you know, brands can rest on their, their laurels and not say, okay, we can actually differentiate by really focusing on customer success. Um, but I want to talk about CXL. And the e-learning platform, uh, you know, it's been growing and solving a real need for education, the digital marketing space. Uh, but there are now a lot of competitors. And before this call, you mentioned it's kind of turning into a, a bit of a red ocean. And so uh, Winter's a really good example of a new to market product, new type of category for technology. But CXL, uh, you're looking to innovate and you know, do that exploration in a different way, uh, particularly with the Deft, which is a completely new product as well. Um, tell me a bit about that and what that process has looked like. Yeah. A couple of years ago, um, when just thinking about my business, CXL, it dawned to me that uh, we are not really that differentiated. Yes, I can tell you about our how, why choose us and all that stuff. But if I'm really being really honest, the differences are quite subtle. Mm. And uh, we don't really have a moat. We have a brand, which is something that is a brand is a moat. But it's a mini brand, you know. It's, we're not like a Code Academy or, or Coursera. We're still, still a small small player. Mm. And so, in the, in the in the industry of e-learning, you know, and especially we're in marketing education, you know, we're up against the big boys. There's LinkedIn Learning, Coursera, Udacity, those guys with a lot of money. Mm. And then the, there's uh, you know there are other you know let's say medium-sized platforms like us. And then there's a lot of the small creator type of uh, people. So the barriers of entry to be starting an e-learning business are gone completely. Everybody has a camera in their pocket that shoots decent quality video. And if you know something about something, you can film yourself and there you go, you have a course, right? Mm -hmm. And the tools, talked about NoTech previously, there are tools to monetize your knowledge that are abundantly available from Substack to, to Teachable to, you know, you name it. This is a very competitive space. So there, there, there are tools to, to sell your knowledge 
and tools to uh, shoot educational content. So in what what is happening is is just saturation. There's so much supply, and and we have no no moat really besides our brand. Brand is a moat, but you know, mm-hmm. building a brand takes a long ass time, right? And in ideally, you have more than more than more than one moat there. And and in terms of our product, well, you can't compete on features in SaaS and in the same with in e-learning like. In terms of your courses, you can't compete on that really because. So what do you have? Like, oh, I teach courses on subjects that nobody else is teaching on. No, I mean, every anybody can be, build a course for, on Google Analytics, mm-hmm. or what is it like? I, my instructors. Uh, well, instructors could be as a, a cornered resource that only you have access to any particular type of uh, instructors. Like maybe you, the business owner. Mm-hmm are a cornered resource and for CXL, I am that. Um, and you see, you've seen Masterclass, right? Masterclass has all the Hollywood stars and the, and the cornered resource there is that they pay each of those people uh, supposedly north of $100,000, which is a lot of money and most can't do that. Mm-hmm. So that, that is, is kind of a mode for Masterclass there. And then, then there's Reforge and they, they have a, mode of uh, cornered resources as well, where they have some of these Silicon Valley, uh, you know, names, you know, who will teach you growth. Um, but that's also, I don't know if it is ultimately defensible because if you're, you know, okay, you have X Slack CMO teaching a course, well, I can take a Zoom CMO a teacher course, right? Mm. So it's, it's difficult to, to build a defensible business here. So me looking at the situation already two years ago, it's like, okay, my business is, is profitable and growing. We have currently, we have very nice margins and everything is great, but five years from now, it might not be so great anymore. You know, there's definitely, we feel uh, increased downward pressure on pricing because mm. let's say lookalike clones are coming that are cheaper. And if the, if it's hard to tell exactly why we are better, then you know, like, why pay more? The, the customer might be asking. Yeah. And so I am. Um, I am now completely rethinking my business to move away from the red ocean towards a blue ocean. Mm. And the way I'm architecting this this transition. From a business is I'm taking what we have learned about e-learning and what's not working with it. What's worth not working about e-learning. And I can tell you, speak for, speak for an hour about all the problems with e-learning. Um, so I'm taking what I've learned there and I'm combining this with basically my own vision. I'm betting, I'm, I'm connecting dots and I'm betting based on how I think people will want to use e-learning that will solve all this problem. I have a creative idea. Uh, I'm betting my company's future in a new direction where we're the only ones doing what we're doing. So we might be the only idiots doing what we're doing and gloriously fail, or we might be, you know, basically creating a category, quote unquote, and just raking it in, you know. 
Mm. And there's a risk appetite that, that's associated with that. Uh, a lot of people who are building products and brands, uh, they don't have the appetite for risk because it is a big bet, you know, and we talk a lot about in the industry having a data-driven culture, which is great. Uh, data, data will tell you what's in history. You know, it's an active history. It's saying, uh, these are what the, these are what customers they currently experiencing product. These are their problems. These are the things that they love about it. This is how they're converting. This is how you're retaining them, which is all really important. But then there's another aspect to this, which is imagination. And I think what you're doing with CXL and imagining a new way to do e-learning and away from the brands that are trying to compete on, you know, big name educators and the actual tech and the experience of the product, you're thinking about different ways that are high risk, they're genesis, they're novel, you know, they're under-researched and going out into market. Do you think there's a lot of people with that mindset, you know, high risk appetite, um, you know, highly imaginative, thinking about new ways to solve on customer needs um, in the market, particularly in the MarTech space? I think it's pretty rare, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I would, have, I would have guessed that there's much more creativity and vision going on. But actually, there's creativity is, is much less common than you would think. And I don't mean creativity in the sense that I eat mushrooms and paint a picture. <laughs> I, mean, I mean creativity in terms of like, I can imagine things that don't exist. Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of risk involved for sure. Cause that, what is that? If it fails, the downside is huge. You know, you get fired, you know, or like, or worse, you know? Yeah. So there, there is a, the systems are definitely not encouraging radical innovation because also innovative ideas they do really poorly in focus groups. So like trying to gauge how an idea will do if it's truly innovative, uh, your options are limited. You know, Steve Jobs knew this and he said like, people don't know what they want until they see it, mm. right? Like in a way you need to, yes, you can do lean startup and, you know, MVPs and all that stuff. But uh, in a way you still need to build something and put it in front of people. You know, so the, there is a, a a more cautious way of rolling things out, but you still need to have some faith and bet your future on it. And I I do think it's 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 scare, it's a scarce resource. So obviously, companies would really benefit from having CEOs who are like that. It uh, and of, there are not very many CEOs. There's going to be only one. Uh, and so you would think that companies are able to attract or at least find, identify people like this. Yeah, it's, uh, I, my, when I started my career, um, I worked for a, um, a guitar company, actually, a music, uh, an instrument company that um, they integrated an iPhone into an electric guitar. And uh, like, this is my first job working, uh, doing, you know, CRM and digital marketing and, you know, sort of taking um, hold of the agencies and all of those different things. And it was completely blue ocean. Nobody done it before. The product failed spectacularly, Pep, spectacularly. Uh, but what I did appreciate about that was they had a huge appetite for risk. They went out to market, they built it. They did a Kickstarter, went out to market and, um, and they got a whole bunch of valuable learnings back, uh, you know, and so, you know, there is a real high, you have to have a high tolerance for failure, um, uh, you know, appetite for learning. 
Um, but also, you know, the imagination I think is a missing piece there. It's like, what, like, it's not even that risk appetite potentially. It's, it's more about how can we imagine something that doesn't exist yet? Um, and what does that actually look like? Like let's, the data-driven culture, um, I think in a lot of ways creates an erudite sort of environment where a lot of marketers and people building products, um, they're not thinking about things that are outside of the realm of, oh, does a data validate it? Because, you know, if, for example, with winter, you had a bunch of insights and then that formulated the idea for the company, but how you went about it was an act of an imagination um, of creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you could have gone about um, solving that need in a bunch of different ways. You've could have done mm-hmm. more, more training in CXL <laughs> um, or more education resources in CXL about copywriting and messaging but you actually yeah. have the imagination to think of a whole new category of product, which is quite interesting. So uh, in terms of, I guess, where the industry is going now, uh, what's your what's your view on uh, how marketing tech companies are evolving? Do you think it's heading in a good direction? What are you kind of seeing in terms of the future there, uh, in terms of how tech is becoming more mature and commoditizing and how brands are differentiating? Yeah. I think uh, a big way, like the world is growing. So you should, you would think that um, the pie is also getting bigger, you know, and there's more business for, for everybody. But I do, I do, uh, you know, strongly believe that it, it's, it's one of those long tail things like the top two in every category will eat everybody's lunch. And then 5% of the business is divided up for the remaining 50 competitors. And so what is what is going to follow is that a lot of businesses are going to be failed and there's going to be definitely a wave of acquisitions, you know. Uh, all these bigger companies are going to acquire companies uh, faster. Of course, if it's a me too company, you're not getting different uh, acquired. Like a MailChimp does not need another email company that is exactly like them. Like wh- why would they, you know, like... So those most of those companies are just gonna die out um, because nobody knows that they exist, or or they uh, they they you know they do something about it. So it will be interesting to see whether you know maybe somebody's happy running a I don't know a company that is doing a, a couple of million dollars in revenue and that's uh, yeah, a nice nice yeah. <laughs> totally respectable business. I mean. If that's that, you know, if you create jobs and then, you know, you, you know, put bread on the table, it's totally fine. No, no, not everybody needs to, you know, build unicorns here. So that's, that's fine. Uh, but if, 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 uh, if, and if you're bootstrapped, you can definitely play that game. If you're raising money, obviously it's different because now the expectation of the final outcome is totally different. You know, people, people expecting big things it's interesting pep thank you for for joining me on the making sense of martech podcast this conversation has been very illuminating uh, we've talked about differentiation in the market, how to address customer needs in ways that uh, other brands aren't thinking about the state of MarTech and uh, the commoditization of technology products in the space. Uh, so um, I'll throw it to you. Where can we find you on the internet? Best thing is social media. I'm very active on Twitter and LinkedIn. So just connect with me there. Great. Well, thank you for joining me. Thank you.